The Totally Super Podcast is coming to Geeks Radio. Justin and Arthur review every superhero movie ever made. Search for Totally Super Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Totally Super Podcast coming March 2017. Warning, the following contains plot spoilers and naughty language. That means explicit content. And the comments and opinions expressed herein are for entertainment and commentary purposes only and may not reflect the actual opinions of Geeks Radio or the individual hosts. So don't get mad. It's just a show. Welcome to Pop Off. My name is Justin. And today um, we have with us uh, once again um, uh, Arthur Rowan. Hey, Arthur, how are you? Hello, Justin. It's a um, real pleasure to be here today. I know. Uh, so, uh, so I appreciate everybody waiting uh, for this uh, episode. I know that all of you have stopped everything you were doing, um, everything you're doing from uh, June of 2012 until now. <laughs> and let's be honest, really, what's happened in the past five years? Nothing worth talking about. Nothing. Nothing in the world. Nothing with Joss Whedon. Nothing. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Nothing whatsoever. They I, haven't restarted Firefly, therefore nothing has occurred. I start, I, of course, to prepare for this, I listened to uh, what we did before, and we were like all talking about like Avengers 1. We're like, ooh, Avengers 1. Spoilers <laughs> on Avengers 1. Spoilers I wonder how Aven- he's going to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> Spoilers on Avengers 2. It broke Joss Whedon. Um <laughs> Joss Whedon is broken. He's hiding in a cave somewhere doing something. Not necessarily a bad film, but it broke him. It broke him. It broke actually kind of like and the more I've seen it, the more I like it. Uh um but that's not what we're here to talk about. Uh welcome uh to part 4 of our Buffy the Vampire Slayer uh, retrospective. This is a weird one. Uh in that uh most of you are not going to hear this when we're recording this on uh, February 28th, 2017. Um, these are the last two episodes of Pop Off that you're listening to now. Um, because after this, there is no more. Um, and we are doing this, as put it right out on Front Street, um, because we are going to be doing a new podcast, which by the time you guys have found this episode, is probably going to be like a year in. Um, but uh, if you are not listening to the Totally Super podcast uh, starting uh, mid-March of 2017, uh, you should be. Uh, so go on iTunes right now and look up Totally Super. and It's we're Totally be there. Super. Yes, unless it's not yet like mid March. If you like found this like and it's still like like March fifth of twenty seventeen, it's not there yet. It's like give us mm-hmm. give us a little time. Um, yeah, G- give uh, it like a week or two. And let's be honest, what's really gonna happen in two weeks? You know, <laughs> seriously. Hi, this is us reporting from the apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> if you've put your lives on hold for five years waiting for this podcast, you can wait another two weeks for the totally super. Yes, I know. Seriously. Um, so uh, we are uh, continuing our conversation about Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and uh, uh, we're just going to jump right in. Um, on October 5th, 1999, um, the WB aired the first episode of Angel. Now, as we spoke about on our last uh, episode, uh, and by the way, if you're just hearing this now, go back and listen to the three before this, because uh, we get like some really great like talk about Buffy and what all that meant. But uh, Angel um, recedes into the smoke, never to be seen again. And Buffy continues on with her life uh, without Angel. And Angel moves to uh, La La La, I mean Moonlight. Um, you see, that's a joke that's not going to make <laughs> Yeah, Yeah, it's totally not going to make sense if you it's were listening be dated to it in, in like 2012. Yeah. I know. Um, uh, uh, moves to Los Angeles, uh, the city of Angels, um, to start his own show. Um, 
Let's talk a little bit about where we were. Did you see Angel when it first aired on TV, or did you catch it when it... Uh... I caught up with it. Um, I watched season five, its final season, uh, as it was happening. Um, but uh, the other four seasons I had to catch up on, on DVD. Now, am I remembering right that you kind of... I'm What part of Buffy, and again, it's been so long since we talked about this, what part of Buffy was the part of Buffy that you like actually hadn't seen because you had read all the synopses? Was that... Angel, or was that? Um, like it was a little bit of season. Of it, um, season six of Buffy, I eventually saw Angel. I will be completely honest; I've seen maybe half of season three and a little bit of season four, um, but it was mostly synopses uh, for a lot of it. I, I I was told on good authority by some people that if I had to skip any season, I should skip season four. Um, you might think differently, which is will be part of the joy of this. Uh, of this conversation. Now, but I've also gone back and watched a few of those uh, since then, too. Now, have you watched all of Angel at this point? Are, are you doing an Angel podcast having not seen all of Angel? I have seen 90% of Angel at this point. Good. There's like uh, one or two little ones in three and four that I've There's some of it skipped, that you can but, skip. There's some mm-hmm. of it that you can... And I'm going to come right out and say that a lot of season four is great. Um, some of season four is terrible. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Well, I think you've just de- you've just described just about every season of Angel. No, no, I would say that season one, I could say a lot of season one is terrible. Um, but let's get into it. Uh, <laughs> the premise of the show is this: is Angel uh, arrives in L.A. not really knowing what his purpose is going to be, where he encounters uh, a young man named Doyle, who's not quite so young and not quite so a man. Um, Doyle is a half demon uh, who has been brought by the powers that be uh, to help Angel. Uh, to basically help the helpless. His job is to get into people's lives that are about to go south uh, as revealed to Doyle through a, like a series of visions, a painful series of visions from the powers that be, um, and uh, get into their lives and help them steer their lives into the right direction. Um, we find and- out in uh, season one of Angel that opposing the powers that be uh, on the good side is the uh, dark and evil Wolfram and Hart uh, law firm, a uh, demonic evil w- law firm, pretty much serving Satan um, to uh, uh, to defend the evil and the demons and the vampires and basically make ill will and badness go exist mm-hmm. in Los Angeles and then throughout the world. Um, and- a couple. And a couple quick things I want to jump in with here. The uh, the first thing about Angel helping the helpless is that he initially balks at the idea. Um, Angel, as we have seen in Buffy, goes on a wide uh, uh, sort of sign curve of, oh, I want to be helpful and a hero, or oh, I am worth nothing and totally depressive. Um, this, this show starts with him definitely in a downward place. Sure. Um, having to have had left Buffy because, you know, they can't be together because he's a vampire with a curse and all of that sort of thing. Um, so a lot of this first season is, is is about him sort of developing the will to be a hero again. Yeah, uh, well, and, and I would say that that is the struggle he goes on back and forth. Uh, he oscillates maybe one too many times through that struggle over mm-hmm. the course of the show. Um, yeah. uh, and then but- also with, uh, with Wolfram and Hart, I absolutely love the fact they are a law firm, which immediately shows that this is a quote unquote more adult show than Buffy. It's essentially it's taking the it's taking fighting evil out of high school and putting it into the real world where evil doesn't necessarily 
fight just using monsters, but it frequently fights using the constructs of civilization. And so. and evil, you know, demons are not necessarily evil. Humans are, are not necessarily good. Mm-hmm. I would dare say that the evilest of the evil is not demonic and the best, like, like and the demons become, like, it's so gray. Everything becomes so, yeah, so gray. Yeah, this, this is a show all about gray area. It is not in a fictional area. It's in uh, an an actual LA or or a fictional LA, but it's mm-hmm. it's in it's in Los Angeles, um, which leads us to and I, I want to talk about the one thing that we kind of have to whistle past um, is Cordelia Chase is uh, is in this show and she is pursuing her life as an actress, um, and let's just call it out right here about Cordy. She is suddenly twenty seven years old. <laughs> we just have to accept that that's true. Because by the next season, when she's supposedly like nineteen, she's like doing the taxes. She's like, and and she is. Oh yeah, that's a good point. She she has an incredibly fast maturation process. Oh, I well, okay. So maybe she starts the show. It starts the show at like age twenty one, and she's mm-hmm. twenty seven by the end of season one. And yeah, that's kinda, true. Because it's yeah, she's not even. She hasn't even technically. She hasn't even gone through college yet. She just she's left high school, a total like prom queen preppy girl, and suddenly a year later. Has, uh, this isn't has, even a year. This is like if you really think about no, it. No, but I mean, is, by, by by the end of season one, yeah. she has gone through a meteoric shift, uh, which is mostly driven by the necessity of what her character needs to do for the narrative, as opposed yeah. to a realistic passage of time. I mean, let's be clear. If we look at Buff, the 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 Scoobies over on Buffy at the end of season four, um, where they're still at college, having just beaten the initiative. They've also aged a bit. I mean, by the end of Buffy, you know, they are clearly not 21 years old. They're also clearly they end at like 27. She ends at like Cordelia ends at like 35. But yeah. this is all done like this. And and like, not even necessarily speaking in terms of physical appearance. No, it's that's just not what I'm talking about at all. I'm talking yeah. specifically about like these characters are not just out of high school. Oh, I hadn't even considered that. That's a good point, though, that because uh, these shows were running concurrently for a while. Yeah. Um. So the fact that. Cordy, who was always seen as the dumb, vapid one in Buffy, is the one who suddenly goes through this massive growth uh, learning curve, whereas people at Buffy still actually keep to, oh, look, we're freshmen in college now. Yeah. <laughs> Beer bad. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And that's all happening at the same time. If you think about the fact that Beer bad is happening at the same time that this is happening, mm-hmm. like you just you just got to whistle past the fact that that's yeah. the case. Um, another thing to whistle past is that they did try to like create their own distinctive look for the vampires. Um, the vampires on on Angel look at first different than the vampires from Buffy, and mm-hmm. it, and I'm not sold on it. Um, I don't think it's better. Um, I yeah. think that I think that a lot of what they try to do to differentiate themselves from Buffy is a mistake. And I think they. I think by the time it's all said and done, they kind of course correct. Yeah. Um, I also want to point out that the very first angel, the very first vampire that you kill on Angel is Sawyer from Lost, uh, which I'm always happy. Is to it see. really? It oh, is that's Sawyer. funny. It is Sawyer. Oh, we're gonna see Sawyer from Lost. We're gonna see Jeremy Renner at one point on this show. Um, uh, a lot of people are gonna go through, but let's uh, let's start with season one. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, angel uh, starts season one. Um, getting into the life of, of a woman who ends up being uh, a cop and her name is Kate. Um, and Kate is, uh, is unaware of what's going on in, uh, in the angel verse. Um, but she, over the course of her character's, uh, development becomes aware of, uh, of what is going on with angel. And she is the first, uh, 
I guess, sort of add-on character that you get to uh, to the show. You know how Buffy always had that supporting character off on the side who wasn't in the opening credits. She's the first one of those. Mm-hmm. Um, that at least on the good guy side. Yeah, at least on the good guy side. Um, on the bad guy side, uh, you meet uh, Lindsay. I can't remember. Uh, you meet Holland Manners and Lindsay. Do you meet? Uh, is Lila in season one? Um, I don't remember if she's in season one. I know she's definitely not in the first few episodes. So you, have, she eventually comes into play. Yeah. Uh, but um, Lindsay is Lindsay is essentially the first lawyer representative of Wolfram and Hart that you really meet. Who's got a face and a name, and it's clearly oh, we're going to see this guy a lot. Um, and so I think that uh, I'm already thinking about the way that we're going to go through this. Uh, we went through Buffy season by season. I don't think there's a lot of value in doing that uh, with Angel um, in that it doesn't really break up that way. So if we may, um, I would like to break up Angel into four uh, distinct sections. Um, and I'd like to break it up into uh, um, early Angel up to the spoilers for Angel, by the way. <laughs> Death of yeah, Dora. Oh, yeah. We, we, sh- we should probably just say this right now. If you have not watched Angel, this is not the podcast to be listening to. Um, so I'm going to say uh, I, I'm going to say uh, early Angel up to the Death of Doyle. Uh, then I'm going to say uh, first uh, or, or second tier Angel, which I'm going to say up to the point that Connor returns as uh, as a as an older as a like I, a, a young adult. I would actually say take it till uh, the end of season two because Pylea represents a big shift because that's when you get Fred into play. As you do well. get Fred into play, but I feel like the show kind of still remains the same as it's as it's following the Darla arc um, in a big way. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, I feel like the whole Stark and the Darla arc are separate, but yeah, but we can but we can certainly talk about them both concurrently. Um, then you have uh, the Connor era, um, and then uh, and then you have season five, um, mm-hmm. which uh, which really is a out, season unto itself. It's its own thing. Um, and I have been, uh, and we can talk about this. I have called season five of Angel my favorite season in the entire Buffyverse. Um, I would. I would say it's probably my favorite season of Angel. I don't know if I'd definitely put it as my favorite season of the Buffyverse, but I loved the hell out of that season. Um, so uh, so jumping in early, Angel, um, the focus here is really kind of very much still Monster of the Week. Wouldn't you say mm-hmm. you're still you're still looking at your your um, you know, we are getting a vision and we're chasing the vision mm-hmm. and we're writing the wrong or sometimes we fail to write the wrong. Yeah, the um, basic uh, the basic plot device here is that Doyle is gifted with these visions that allow him to see uh, what's happening, which is a really great way of... I mean, it's the film noir equivalent of somebody being in an office and somebody walking in and saying, hey, I've got this yeah. problem I'd like to hire you for. Um, so it's... A, I mean, in a sense, is it a completely obvious plot device? Yes, but it's effective, so yeah. Um, and we should also point out the uh, the will they won't they that's going on between uh, Cordelia and uh, Doyle at this point. Cordelia Chase, of course, is chasing her dream as an actress, and she wants uh, more than anything just to, to just to like be able to balance that and and use Angel as her connection back to Sunnydale and also a source of income, which she's always having problems with. But she's still sort of dreaming the dream. And the the joke of the show is, of course, she's terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, Cordelia n- has not 100% committed to the good fight at this point. Yeah. Um, uh, she is like easily, I would say that, that, that if you were to look at, if you were to take the Kirk Spock bones of everything, 
Um, and if you were to cast uh, cast Angel in the role of Kirk as the protagonist who's driving it, I would definitely put like I don't even know where like Cordelia. She's like the heart kind of of the show, and Doyle is. How, I, I, how do you even cl- clarify those? If you're going, I mean, do at your, this point, at this point in the show, I'd say Cordelia is almost more the comic relief. Yeah, um, it's yeah, the she's she starts off. Uh, what, what I love, it, it, and it really shows up very well in the first episode when you know the uh, you know the evil, uh, very rich vampire takes an interest in Cordelia. Um, and meets her at a you know at a party where she was going to network and invites her and she thinks oh my gosh I'm going to meet somebody famous and he's going to help me get my career started and then she gets into his place and is looking around and saying oh you've got all these heavy curtains and everything's dark. oh my god you're a vampire like it's this moment of her going from yes she is absolutely shallow and driven by that sort of narcissistic desire for fame. Uh, and that sort of stars in your eyes, I'm going to Hollywood sort of thing. But it does, even in the first episode, show, oh, no, she's not completely stupid. She actually has all this potential for observation. And Well, I you mean, know, she comes you, from Sunnydale. You don't, come out of, you don't come out of Sunnydale without having picked up a few things. Well, and I think that's the thing. I think she even calls that out, like, herself and says, and says you know, for lack of a better term, like, Bitch, I'm from Sunnydale. Yeah, we're from Sunnydale. We have our own Hellmouth. Yeah. Um, so uh, I'm just going to run through uh, the episodes real quick. Uh, we have already kind of talked about uh, City of, uh, mm-hmm. which is the beginning of the of the show. Um, a lot of this is the same. Um, I want to talk uh, specifically about um, the... This is the eighth episode of... Um, of Angel, I will remember you. Is the oh, first we, episode we have to, we have to address this. Where it's yeah. great, I would almost call I will remember you like one of the best episodes of Buffy. It in ter- in terms of its emotional impact, I would. Here's my thing: in terms of logical plot structure, it has holes that you could drive a truck through. In terms of its ninjas, a, what are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, demon ninjas that can resurrect vampires and turn them human, which strangely no one has heard about for the previous five seasons of this universe. Um, that being said, I mean, so there is a plot conceit in it that is just, it is problematic to the extreme. That being said, I don't care because the emotional impact of it, it you know, it, it, it has made myself included grown men cry and cry hard like not the night like the pretty like manly sort of oh i just finished watching gladiator and there's like a single tear riding down my cheeks so, but like ugly cry so, so. here we go uh, i'm just going to read this right right off of tv got tv.com and i'm not going to do this for a lot but buffy arrives in la furious the angel did not tell her that he was in sunnydale um in his completely pointless crossover into buffy Mm-hmm. Um, that was a, not very good. But then she comes totally back, she's, unnecessary. She's mad about it. Uh, while they're talking, they're attacked by the demon. Some of his blood gets into Angel, and Angel becomes human. Um, now I gotta say, Human Angel is so great. Um, specifically, food. When <laughs> his he love of peanut butter. Food. Yes. Um, now you have to break the world a little bit for this to work because mm-hmm. vampires absolutely eat food. Like Spike loves drinking and he loves the Bloomin' Onion. And, you know, and later on there will be vampires who like mm-hmm. put cinnamon in their blood. Like the vampires like food. 
Um, mm-hmm. But in this case, it's okay. I'm willing to break the world in many yeah. ways. Maybe it's not that you don't. Maybe it's just that vampires have less of a sense of taste. So you still like peanut butter, but you don't fully experience peanut butter the way humans experience peanut butter. <laughs> Um, uh, over the course of the episode, of course, um, uh, they fight and Angel gets the shit beat out, beat out of him. And while that's happening, he realizes, oh no, I don't have the powers anymore that I was going to have. Um, but he does, uh, get a chance to have a night with Buffy and they finally have a night sleeping together where, uh, where he doesn't turn into an asshole and try to murder everybody. Um, uh, by the way, for those of you, I, I'm assuming, can we assume everybody knows what Angel's deal is? We haven't talked about Angel at all. Um, uh, okay, if he has a moment of pure happiness, by which we mean possible orgasmic moments in sex, he becomes a pure vampire with no soul anymore. There. Done. Yeah, he's a, he's a vampire with a soul. The soul makes him good. He's he's trying to get retrib- or, or redemption for all the shit he did when he was bad. Um, and yeah, if he has a moment of perfect happiness, up to this point, we said that means an orgasm. Um, mm-hmm. uh, that, of course, you know, we changed that to at one point. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, all that being said, um, uh, at the end of the episode, he realizes that uh, he it's going to be necessary for him to be the champion he's supposed to be. And uh, he waits. he has to remain a vampire in order to be the champion he wants to be. So. Um, so, yeah, sorry. And in, in order to do that, he uh, is going he is going to magically reset the clock so that nothing that happened has happened. And he will never become human. And the day is going to be reset uh, Groundhog Day style where only he will remember. And he tells uh, Buffy this in the and last... Let's, let, and let's talk about those 30 to 45 seconds of that yeah. moment, where first, and uh, I've gone on record before uh, in the previous Buffy podcast, of talking about how Sarah Michelle Gellar gives incredible cry. Oh, like, no. she starts crying, and like the little lip starts quivering or something, <laughs> and I'm sorry, it just wrecks you. So yeah. let's take that... Then add in the fact that they brought back the close, close your, your eyes da, theme, da, 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 which yeah. you know, which you have not heard in Angel at all. You actually haven't heard it in Buffy since probably two seasons worth. And but, yeah. <laughs> but in that moment, you're like, oh, I totally recognize this tune. And, yeah. Oh, it's just, it is one of the most fantastically sad moments. I I would actually say more so than, uh. Well, it's a different kind of because there's character deaths that hit hard. Sure, but this particular moment is just so fantastically open wound, uh, tragic. I'm getting upset like talking like right now talking yeah. about it. I'm I'm having an emotional response like even talking about. Yeah, that. with her swear like her swearing. I'm never gonna forget this. I'm never I'll gonna never forget, forget this. Like oh, oh my forget. gosh, it's forget. just. And then oh. and then it cuts back to them in an argument, mm-hmm. um, which is just the worst. Yeah. It's, um, it's crushing. I will say that it's interesting, um, uh, and we'll talk about some of the other ones uh, later on. But um, my uh, Mrs. J, um, uh, who we know that's my wife from, uh, if you listen to Trek Off, uh, that's mm-hmm. what we call my wife, Mrs. J. Um, uh, uh, she uh, has gotten into watching the Vampire Diaries, um, and mm-hmm. there have been points where she said, "Oh, the show's so good," and I'm like, "Really?" Because I won't watch it. Um, mm-hmm. And she goes, "No, it's so good." I goes, "It's no Buffy." She goes, "I don't know. I don't know." So one night, <laughs> I collected all the worst quotes to just break her. <laughs> and so, because, yes, every good marriage needs a moment where you prove to your significant other just how wrong they are. And I just I, I went, listen, I just want to give me 30 seconds to prove you. 30 seconds to prove that Vampire Diaries is not a good. She goes, okay, fine. I said, I said, 
close your eyes. She said, fuck you. <laughs> I said, I said, I said, I said, I said, oh, oh no, I'm not done. Mom, mom, mommy, <laughs> fuck you. I'll never forget. I'll never forget. You stop. Why can't I stay? Why can't I stay? <laughs> Just quick tangent. Yeah. So I, uh, I, uh, um, I am an actor by trade, although certainly not uh, nearly as successful as the people that we are discussing. Um, so I have a weekly acting class and uh, in which we do scenes from, you know, and frequently we just pull scenes from TV or something to try. And a couple weeks ago, a couple guys did a scene from The Vampire Diaries. And the general feeling from the crowd was, from, from the rest of the class was, wow, you guys did a great job with an absolute shit script. Mike, that dialogue was horrific. Oh my, like most of us have never seen Vampire Diaries, but we were like, this, this wow, this script is, huh. And you know, ooh. it's not fair. I mean, the only mm-hmm. reason we're comparing is because it's got vampires, right? I mean, it's like, it's like, mm-hmm. there are tons of shows about cops and we don't compare all those shows <laughs> to one true. another. Um, and let's be and I'll be completely honest. I have so many guilty pleasures that uh, I have absolutely no uh, strong ground to stand on in terms of uh, relative comparisons of quality of shows. But I'll never forget. I'll never forget. Fuck you. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> and of course, uh, only Angel gets to remember. Um, I want to jump back really quick because uh, there's an important episode. Uh, the third episode, Spike shows up. Um, and I want to talk about this episode one because it's a great Spike episode. It's great to have Spike on Angel. Um, mm-hmm. I wonder if they'll ever do that again. Um, uh, but um, in this episode, uh, they do two things. One, Oz leaves Sunnydale in an episode of Buffy, then shows up in Angel the next episode, and that's kind of oh, a cool yeah. thing that they do once or twice. Yeah. Well, um, the, the, well, in season two, the cross, the levels of crossover that they get into are really yeah. quite fantastic. Um. But this episode's also interesting because Angel is given the opportunity to have basically a ring that will allow him to be invulnerable and also go out in the daytime. And then he decides to discard that ring mm-hmm. and not keep it. Um, I always had a problem with that. Yeah. Yeah. And here's my thought with it. There are, especially in season one... Um, to a certain degree, I feel like they were trying to shoot their dramatic load early, um, which Get so you viewers, take something right? like that yeah, scene where um, you take that scene where like Angel decides to destroy the ring because he says, you know, I need to still stay in the dark because that's where the evil happens. Like people need somebody who understands that. Um, OK, cool. That's an interesting philosophical thing. If this were a single film. If it were a movie about Angel and this was, you know, and and there were no sequels or no TV show that happens afterwards and that was the final scene, it would have worked. I would have thought, that's kind of cool. Okay, I get that. But the fact that the show continues for the next four and a half seasons and the number of times that you're just sitting there thinking... Boy, sure would, sure be would have nice been nice if I could go out in the daylight. daylight. The equivalent of Jane being boy sure would be great if we had some grenades right now. Um, and it's actually it's the same thing with the Buffy moment. That close your eyes, uh, or I, you know, I will remember you as a as like a tragic movie. Oh my God, would have been so good. And on its own, as a standalone, it is supreme. The longer the show goes on, though, the more 
that whole concept of, oh, I needed to stay a vampire in order to be a good guy does sort of fall apart, especially since season one ends with them discovering a prophecy saying, hey, Angel, if you defeat the apocalypse, you might get to be human again, you know, like you were eight episodes ago. Yeah, no, I I absolutely... But you gotta understand that episode. Like I will remember you as November sweeps. It aired on November on November twenty third, nineteen ninety nine. It's Thanksgiving oh, that's weekend. true. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, and and it's the first season. You gotta get the people. Otherwise, you're you. Are you gonna be Frazier? Are you gonna be Joey? Yeah. Oh I'm no, not, I don't. Uh, oh no, don't get me wrong. I think them shooting their wad early in a lot of ways was a good call for the show. Absolutely. Yeah. Um. Now, Joss has a thing where he tends to. He'll give you this the the super uh, like light episode, then he'll give you the serious episode and knock your socks off, and then he'll kind of return you back to a status quo. Um, he doesn't do that this time. He uh, does. Okay, so let me tell you about. Sorry, I'm jumping the in. Very a lot, next but, episode. Go for it. Let me tell you about. So I the the conditions in which I saw I will remember you. It was on DVD, and I'm sitting there with a couple friends, and it's like maybe ten o'clock at night. Um, and we're watching it in a darkened room and everything. <laughs> and so it's, uh, um, so we finish watching it and it's two other guys and we're all like, all of us clearly having all the feels, but none of us want to actually acknowledge that we're having all the feels. We're so men, just like, we're like, yeah, men. we're men. So there's, there's this moment, there's like dead Sports silence. And, meat. <laughs> and then one of my friends is just like, man, skip school, Nick. That's a really dumb name for a person like the executive producer or something like yeah yeah we come yeah skip school like what the hell so we're all like brushing that off and then we have the moment of oh my god that was so tragic i know right and so then we all say well we can't end it on that one let's watch (laughs) one more fuck you joss yes i know uh uh hero uh doyle must overcome his fears when the gang tries to protect a group of half human steam half human demons from a vicious group of racist demons the scourge are nazis okay a little mm-hmm. heavy-handed, but okay, we'll, we'll go with it. Um, and ultimately, in order to save everybody, uh, these these concentration camps of, of half-demons, he, uh, uh, Doyle uh, sacrifices himself and uh, dies. Um, mm-hmm. And you Suddenly, a little bit more. Yeah. Um, now, here's the question. I have heard two versions of this story. The first being, uh, the first being that, um, that this was always planned that Doyle was specifically mm-hmm. created to die so that you never felt safe. Uh, the other version I've heard is that Glenn, Glenn Quinn's uh, um, erratic behavior because of the drugs and stuff he was doing, um, the alcoholism and stuff that he was dealing mm-hmm. with, um, yeah. they, that they wrote him off the show. Yeah, and let's um, let's have a moment of uh, of true uh, mourning for Glenn Quinn in the sense that the guy was a great actor, phenomenal well, charm and charisma. And he was the um, one that was carried over from Joss Whedon's experience writing on Roseanne. That when Joss oh, Whedon made Angel, right. yeah. he was he was on Roseanne a lot. Is mm-hmm. he was a boyfriend on on Roseanne? Um, uh, I loved Doyle, and I loved mm-hmm. Glenn Quinn, and um, I really want to believe that it was planned from the beginning. I really, really, really do. And it seems like they had a really serious, a significant plan on what to do. I don't know if that plan was a reaction to having to get rid of it. I don't know the story. I don't want to disparage the guy, but I, you know, if we're doing a podcast about it, we got to tell both stories and, and, mm-hmm. you know, research it yourself and find out I mean, um, I, what you think. I will say from a narrative standpoint, if it were me, um, and I, ne- I never like saying, oh, this would be the better way to do it because that 
incredibly arrogant from a creator standpoint. But I will just say, especially when the other me, guy's Joss Whedon. <laughs> yeah, especially when the other guy's just like, after I've directed two Avenger films, maybe, maybe I can have something to stand on. Uh, but I would say, if it were me, if I wanted to go for that sense of shocking people and making them feel unsafe, you do it either in the second episode or you do it at the end of the first season. Um, yeah. Doing it. Because the thing is, doing it like halfway through, and what not even on November sweeps, just a random episode, it feels sort of, yes, it comes out of the blue, but not in a really heavy-hitting way. It's not like what happened at the end of the first book or season one of Game of Thrones. Um, because that, talk about driving home, oh, no one's getting out of it. You know, like, anybody could go at any moment. Um, that certainly happens. But... That's the thing is, when I watched it with Doyle, there was more of the sense of, like, even watching it the first time, not knowing anything about Glenn Quinn's background, I was like, oh, I, I guess the actor had to leave the show. Because it came so much out of nowhere that I couldn't help but think there's got to be a meta explanation for this. Yeah, I I want to believe that it was a choice. Um, it stinks a lot of Tasha Yar for a season of Next Gen. Um, which we know she quit because she wanted to go on to other things. Um, But uh, they deal with it by having a Cordelia inherit Doyle's uh, powers and a rogue demon hunter, Wesley Wyndham Price, comes to town. Can Mm -hmm. I tell you how much I don't like Wesley at this point? Um, uh, I think that he's he's too silly. He's too goofy. Mm -hmm. Um, Nothing good's ever going to happen with this character, right? (laughs) I mean, this guy's never going to go anywhere. They're going to write him off the show because this guy's clearly one note... And can only do one thing. Interestingly enough, you and I are going to have some very live... I know already you and I are going to have some very lively discussions about Wesley later on. I don't um, know if we will. I, I I predict that you and I will will come down on the same side. Uh, but we'll find out. The rest of the season one um, takes a dip. Because uh, uh, we... You know, Angel broods. I'm just looking at Angel broods. And... You know, Cordelia's uh, pregnant, not for the last time. Oh, my um, God. That was just an awkward. Um, uh, uh, there's gender warfare going on. There's uh, there's a family that he's trying to. It's kind of you're going through. I'm just going through everything here episode mm-hmm. by episode. Um, the next episode uh, that I want to talk about is uh, episode 17 from. And, and I guess. We can just finish the first season as the first uh, section, um, and then go to season two where it takes a takes a shift as as the first eight uh, section of Angel. Um, episode seventeen a- aired on April fourth, two thousand. Um, it's called Eternity. Angel takes a job protecting a well known actress from a crazy. Oh, stalker. this one was pretty good. Yeah. Um, when a mirror happens to be in the wrong place, however, she begins begins to suspect what he really is. So of course, she gives him a drug that would make him perfectly happy. <laughs> Again. I'm okay with the fact that they're, they've broken the, the world because he's perfectly happy and he turns into Angelus, um, evil angel. And he's great and scary as fuck as Angelus. Mm-hmm. Let's, and I think we talked about this in a previous Buffy podcast. Like Angelus and David Boreanaz, up until this point in his career, has gotten a lot of flack for not being the best actor. And I recently went back and watched his first appearance on Buffy. Oh my God. And he was not a great actor back then. No, he was not. Um, here's the thing, though. And Angel does this frequently. Like, the show Angel does this frequently. When you give David Boreanaz the chance to be 
I guess goofy is a good word, but just sort of that charming, flippant sort of, he's fantastic. Once you let him do stuff other than brooding, he's wonderful. But he can bring um, real malice to it, too. Yeah, and that's what, but that's what makes Angelus so wonderful. Is I mean, Angelus is, in many ways, to the Buffy universe, what the Joker is to Batman. Um, yeah, that sense of delighting in evil, but at the same time being super smart about how to hurt someone just the right amount. In this case, the Joker is Batman, which is weird. Because <laughs> um, yeah. he is both the Joker and Batman in this game. Yeah. Here's, here's where I'm not willing to accept as much of this because Mm -hmm. it's one of those things. And I've had this discussion with uh, Alexi over on Trek off about the, 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 the idea that the prime universe in Star Trek has not been destroyed where Mm -hmm. the conversation is essentially, we all accept that. No, we're in a parallel universe because Uhura at one point says we're in a parallel universe and we go, okay, that makes sense. In this case, there's no reason to think that the gypsies, when they cursed angel said, it's going to turn you evil forever unless there's a drug and you're kind of sort of happy falsely. So you'll be falsely evil, sort of falsely. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it, are you OK with the with the world bending to make here's, it happen? Here's the thing. World bending happens to an extraordinary degree in Angel, not just yes. this season, but across the board. If you have a problem with logical cohesion um, being sacrificed for the sense of creating an interesting narrative, Angel is not the show for you. Um, sure. This episode was enjoyable to me, um, despite the massive hand-waving that was involved in that whole aspect of it. It was enjoyable to me because, you know, David Boreanaz as Angelus is a joy to watch. I and do love Angelus. Um, and it also finishes off fantastically with him, you know, just sort of being tied to the bed, waking up, totally being Angel, and him apologizing to Cordelia and her being like, no, no, it's all cool. And then her just exiting and him being like, um, you going to untie me now? Uh, So it ends with that wonderful sort of like goofy uh, thing. I think in in order to, here's the thing for me, um, and you and I have had this discussion before, um, I can identify um, a crude plot device Identify it as a crude plot device, but if I enjoy what it accomplished, I am willing to forgive it uh, to a certain extent. So in this sense, this was not a phenomenal episode. I still finished in, I finished the episode thinking, oh, I enjoyed that, even though there was this... But at the same time, I'm not trying to pretend that there wasn't this huge, massive problem with it by saying that this ancient gypsy curse, which created this fantastic truly wonderful dramatic situation in Buffy season two could have been recreated because he took ecstasy. I think the problem that I have with it is that you're messing with the premise. You're messing with the general premise of the show. And I'm okay with world building, but it's when you get down to the DNA of the show and you mess with that for the sake of creating this one good episode that I think that's where it bothers me so much. It'd be, it'd be different if they mess with uh, this aspect here or there. Or they world bend a little bit here or there. But the, like the DNA of Angel is he turned evil. He was Angelus. Then he turned back into Angel. And now he can't be with Buffy because he might someday turn into Angelus. Messing with that in a in mm-hmm. what is kind of a trivial way bothers me. 
Um, I can totally understand that. I, mean, that. I think it goes back to my whole idea of, yeah, they pretty much were just blowing their entire dramatic dramatic wad at once in season one. And here's here's how you can know that it's true, because I'm going to jump ahead uh, to the next two episodes, which also are among the best in the entire series. Uh, episode 18, episode 19, Five by Five and Sanctuary. Oh, so good. Um, uh, these are spectacular. Five by Five... Um, Really, you should you need to go back to uh, to uh, Buffy to start this story where Buffy switches places with Faith. Uh, it switches bodies with Faith. Those are amazing episodes to start with um, because it humanizes Faith again in watching her in Buffy's body, watching how people actually treat each other nicely and having a crisis of conscience there. Mm-hmm. Um, then she shows up here in L.A. and she's evil or trying to be evil, you know, convincing herself that she's the bad girl. Um, and then she breaks at the end of Five by Five. And I don't even want to jump to Sanctuary yet. Faith's breaking at the end oh. of Five by Five is so good. And I just heard the fact that she's fight- So essentially, just a quick recap. It's just she's fighting after tor- kidnapping and torturing Wesley. Um, she essentially in a in a attempt to get Angel to come and fight her. Um, you know, she basically, Angel starts beating her, and it becomes very clear that Faith wants him to kill her. Um, you know, and her she just breaks down, you know, shouting, I'm bad, I'm terrible, these things. And this is the moment to me where the show really starts uh, indicating what its major thesis, its theme is going to be. And that Buffy was pretty much throughout, with a couple deviations, was all about the black and white fight of good versus evil. Um, Buffy was about how somebody nor you know somebody who just wants a normal life um, gets involved in the fight for good versus evil. But ultimately, the nature of evil was never really looked into. Angel, like we said before, much more about gray area. Um, and Angel really lives in those moments of questioning, okay, what is good and what is evil? Um, it's very telling that um, Angel's reaction to Faith is he wants to try to save her. Um, and a lot of that, I think, is because he's been there. Um, yeah, no, it's, and- a, it's, it's a much more mature... It's. Angel takes a much more mature, nuanced look at morality than Buffy does, and which that's is, and that's not a flaw of Buffy's. That's by design. Well, which is why at this point, and it does show how much time has like you feel like this is in a totally different season from I will remember you. It's really only like ten weeks later. Mm-hmm. Buffy comes to to L.A. to get Faith, and already Angel has grown. The show has grown to the fact, uh, gr- grown to the point where where like she now seems very out of place in this show she does yeah. not belong here mm-hmm. and and she seems very it's a very simplistic i mean she seems very small town yep and angel this time basically yells go home buffy it hurts yeah it hurts me it hurts her it hurts a lot. and and the fact that he's doing that for faith and yet what he's doing he's modeling what buffy did for him mm-hmm. and 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 the those episodes back to back um are some of the and you know it's easy to shit on 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 season one because there is some stuff here again 
and I just want to, I don't want to talk too much about Kate, but Kate is, Kate Lockley on, on Angel is arguably the worst character ever created in any show ever. Um, and I don't want to See, do you mean on Angel or season one of Angel? I mean ever on Angel. I mean, I'll, Kate, I'll strongly disagree with you on that, but go with it. Yeah. Um, uh, but this stuff, um, the fact that we had Angelus and these two things with Faith uh, are astounding. Um, and it's really Angel at its best. Um, the next episode, uh, episode 20, of course, is where you introduce Charles Gunn, um, mm-hmm. who is uh, sort of a scrappy street punk. Um, I love that they change Gunn because at this point, and I want to, you know, of course, tread very carefully. It seems very much like he is the, you know, sort of the Will Smithy kind of street tough black guy. Mm-hmm. And and I love that that they make him so very much more than that. It yeah. seems a little pandering um, at first. Well, I think um, it's I, it's very they they kind of want to, and it's it's not just it's, the street tough black guy. They want to introduce urban lower class, sure, um, um, which and, is and a very is, vital part to, in in L.A. That is a very vital uh, part of the fight between good and evil, proverbially speaking, or th- that's a major battleground. Is the I agree. I just think that when you look at the at Buffy and Angel, um, shows that are very 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 white, um, <laughs> true that that very like, true. That the first you know African American character you introduce is that guy. Touche. Um, yeah, that's a good point. Um, I like that they. It doesn't stay that way with him for very long. No, they grow oh. him very quickly and very yeah, well into something into something different. Now, does um, Anne is Anne in this one? I don't remember if Anne is this. Um, if she's Anne is one of my sort of in a very small way. She's one of my favorite characters in the entire Buffyverse because of what they do with her. She first appears in Buffy season three, episode one, where she's just some lost waif, homeless girl who gets abducted by demons, the same ones that Buffy is abducted by. And Buffy through her own example inspires Anne to go and try to take back her life in the Buffy series. That is literally the only time that we ever hear of Anne or see her. She shows up two seasons later in Angel as somebody who has clearly turned her life around and is now helping all of these troubled youth, because I think she runs a shelter for, like, troubled teens or something. And, But I think the thing that is both wonderfully frustrating and brilliant about it is they never fall into the trap of Angel, who works with Anne on several occasions, suddenly going, Oh, wait a minute. You know Buffy? I know Buffy. Like, it is this major link that the two of them share but it is never brought up, and I don't think either of them ever realize it. It's like, it, like by choice, the writers had to say, hey, let's bring this character back to show just how Buffy helped this person so much. But then let's also not ever make a thing about it. Uh, so, Which I, I found really interesting. And at times I either think it's brilliant or it's really frustrating. I can't decide which, but I think that's fascinating. I uh, I don't know how much she shows up again. I know that uh, I like where she goes. I know she's in like some of the final episodes of the show. Yeah, um, I mean she's she's a guest star in at least yeah. four episodes. Um, jumping up to the next one, uh, Blind Date, another uh, fun uh, episode, mostly because it's uh, Lindsay McDonald, uh, the main lawyer for uh, Wolfram and Hart, starts to uh, show that he uh, he has a human side and he might uh, have a conscience, which uh, which is a huge thing. 
Um, and then finally, uh, we end with Tushanshu in LA, where the show uh, lays out its its thesis statement, where there's a prophecy that says uh, that an, a vampire with a soul will uh, avert the coming apocalypse, and the reward for that will be that he gets to be human again. And then the episode ends with going, ah, but we're going to summon something else, which of course is going to be Darla. Um, and that is how mm-hmm. we end uh, kind of phase one of uh, of Angel. How now we should mention now with season one, did they have that many flashbacks of uh, Angel and Darla in season one? I know they have a ton in season two. Um, I think that they I think that they lead you into it uh, mm-hmm. a little bit, but I don't know. This is how, where they start. This yeah. is where they start doing flashbacks of how um, Angel, who started life as Liam, a spoiled Irish rich boy, uh, became who named uh, Angelus. Uh, I know. God, Liam, dumb name. I mean, geez. Oh, okay, here's the thing. I can understand naming one of your kids after a character from the Buffyverse, but two? Two? It's a good really? show, man. It's a good show. <laughs> it's a good show. Um, uh, yeah, interesting, I, side note, our, interesting side note, our new dog is named Kaylee. So there's Oh, that. there you go. Shiny. Mm-hmm. So wrapping up phase one of Angel, I think that um, season one, even I shit on season one a little bit, in that there are parts of season one that are hard to get through the show is clunky from time to time but there are real gems in here in this first phase of of angel i mean to me season one of angel is kind of similar to season one of buffy but you see the show's potential big time yeah no and i think that and i think that if i were to compare season one of angel to season one of buffy i think angel um is better and I think that I think that Angel season one hits high points that Buffy never does. Like there mm-hmm. is no I will remember you. There is no yeah. Angelus. There is no five by five. There is Although, no Sanctuary. to be there fair, no all of those high points are hit building off of what was already established by the previous three seasons. With the exception of, of Hero. With the with exception, the exception of, Hero, of Hero. Yeah. Uh, which is good on its own. Um, but that's phase one of uh, Angel. And that's going to be the end of uh, mm-hmm. the first of our, uh, what's probably going to be three. I, we're going to end up going three episodes on this. Um, at least. At least. Uh, so uh, so thanks for joining us. Uh, my name is Justin. I am Arthur. And pop off. Pop off. The Totally Super Podcast is coming to Geeks Radio. Justin and Arthur review every superhero movie ever made. Search for Totally Super Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Totally Super Podcast coming March 2017.